Second Peter chapter one is uh, we're going to spend some time there tonight. Um, and you know we start our community group uh, study, like I said earlier, of the good and beautiful life, which is um, spends a couple weeks laying some groundwork, and then it we basically will just like just blast our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so I've I've been you know trying to discern what God would have us talk about here on Sundays. Uh, Kind of, you know, the beginning of school. Uh, I feel like I know where where we're going to go after Labor Day, and so it's kind of like, you know, until then, kind of week to week, asking the Lord, you know, where where to go. And um, so as as I was kind of piecing the community group discussion guide together and uh, all that stuff, I I really just it kind of dawned on me how significant this is going to be for us to do together. And I know everybody that's here tonight is not in a group and not going to be in a group or. Maybe you're in a group and you're at another church or whatever, or maybe you're a BCM student who's in a freshman family group or whatever. And so uh, I don't at all feel like this will be lost on you tonight. So this, uh, I kind of feel like regardless of where where you are, uh, I think this will will be applicable and stuff. Um, because the Sermon on the... Hey, there you are. Uh, because the Sermon on the Mount is, is so... Uh, just, just such a massive teaching, and and Jesus, he just kind of leaves no stone unturned, and so much of of what we will do in the coming weeks uh, will really come down to the fact that that we're asking Jesus to to make our lives look different than they are right now, and and that's the thing about about God is is he's a he's a, a God of transformation, like he is all all into. Uh, taking stuff that's messed up and fixing it, taking things that aren't what they should be and and making those things new. He's he's one who repairs. He's one who restores. Uh, he take a word, put re in front of it. That's what he does. Like he's that's that's who he is. That's what he's all about. And so uh, renovation is is like so much of of what we're we're doing. And so um, in Romans chapter twelve. Uh, it, Talks about the renewal of the mind, and that's really what we're what we're saying is is uh, okay. I have this new heart. We'll talk about this in a second. I have this new heart, but this old mind. Um, I need the way I think to line up with the heart that you have given me. And so he's constantly teaching us how to think in new ways. And so before we embark on this journey, and whether you're a part of it in our community groups or not, this is every church everywhere. This is what we do. We're all about saying, God, take my life and make my life look more like your life. But I think there are some kind of foundational beliefs and, and stuff that we need to have before we go down that road uh, or whatever. And so what we're going to do tonight is, uh, if you've been around the ring for a while, this is going to feel like review. But it's not review. Because you're not who you were the last time we went through this text. You're You're different. You have you have been in in process. You have been uh, in the renovation process. So you're not where you were then, and so this should be different to you. If you if you're feeling like, oh no, I know this text, or you, if you say that, then it's pretty clear that you don't know this text because uh, that's 
That's not what it's about. The more we know this text, the more we realize we don't know this text. It's weird how that works. So if you've been around for a while, um, let me just ask you to listen with fresh ears tonight. Uh, if you're here for the first time, and uh, if you're kind of checking out churches and stuff like that, this will be a really good snapshot of where we're coming from as a church to kind of give you something to, to pray through and stuff to see if this is the place God would have for you or not. So let's, let's look at this. We'll start in verse 3. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He's granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be- become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll stop right there for now. See that last part about being... Uh, unfruitful and ineffective. All of us. I don't. I don't care. I don't care who you are, where you're from, how long you've been a Christian. Um, if, if you are a Christian, your desire is to be a fruitful Christian. Nobody. Nobody says I kind of just want to be just kind of like super mediocre at this. You know, like I just. I just kind of want to exist. I just want. No, but you don't say that. All of us want to be fruitful. We want to be effective. And so there are some really important understandings that we need to have in place in order to, to really accurately see uh, that, that, like, that God of renovation that we are walking with. So let's start back at verse 3, go through this slowly. Uh, I just want you to know this. I have, uh, this is like the ninth sermon I've prepped for tonight, this week. Uh, not fully prepped, just prepped up here which is a short process. But uh, I, it, I've never had a week like this where I've gone so many different directions or whatever, and this is like the place that it landed. And uh, I, would, I, I just want you to know that uh, it's been an interesting week to get to this point. But I think this is the right point. Um, so, all right, so his divine power, beginning in verse 3, his divine power. Think about that for a second. His divine power. Um. Divine power is like, you know, like, let there be light kind of power. Let there be the Grand Canyon, you know. It speaks something into existence kind of power. That, that power is, we have no, we have, we cannot fathom that kind of power. Because none of us can create anything. We were to go around this room and, and take everything that we see and everything we have in our possession and even our own bodies. None of that was was created from nothing by us. We took things that already existed and manipulated them into what we want. So these fans that are creating the illusion of coolness, uh, nothing about that fan was created from nothing. It was all created from something. And all those somethings were created by God saying, let that be. 
That's, that's mind-blowing. No one's ever created anything. We're just doing the best we can to put already created stuff together to work for us. So that it's that kind of divine power. It's uh, I, I sat with a with a, with a man this week, and uh, he lives he does this ministry in southern India. And I was sitting there, and his story of how he came to know Christ goes something like this: He grew up in a Hindu village. Uh, this is if I if I understood him correctly. And even if I didn't, I'm grabbing onto this story. He grew up in a Hindu village, and uh, all these people, you know, were there, a little small village, and they had one one Christian man. Everybody else was a Hindu. Um, and this, the guy that I'm eating with, his mother passed away. And so they're, they're doing all of, of the Hindu rituals, the, uh, preparing the body to be, you know, burned and all that, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, so everybody's crying and the, and the, the one Christian man was there, was there and he was crying too and he was just very broken. And, uh, so they're doing all the things that, that they do. And the Christian man walks over and he's down next to the body and he's, he's praying or something. He puts his hand on, on her head and she sits up. She wakes up, not from sleep, from dead. And he says, he explains to everybody around who's been, who's been mourning the loss of this woman in their own way. And he looks around and he says, you have uh, 350 million gods, uh, but Jesus is the one God. He's the one who just brought her back to life. And people started getting saved and started getting saved and started getting saved. See, that's... That's the divine power that we're talking about. You can't overcome death. You can't create something out of nothing. But that divine power is, is what's going on. So look at what that divine power has done. His divine power has granted to us, granted, some translators say it has, has given to us, um, all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay? So, so if, if we were, if we were to, to have just one of those really honest moments and we were to open, open up the mic or, or have a pass around, you know, talk show type situation of whatever, and we were to say, if you could change something about your life, what, what would it be? If you change something about your relationship with God, what would it be? People would stand up and they would say, oh, I wish, I wish I prayed more. I wish I was a student of the word. I wish I had more faith. I wish I didn't struggle with doubt and worry. And I wish I, you know, didn't, um, I wish I loved my neighbor more. I wish I knew how to share my faith. I just can't articulate it. I wish, you know, what it, all kinds of things would be in this room. Every one of those things falls under the power of this verse. That His divine power is granted to us um, everything that you need for life and everything that you need for godliness. That we couldn't come up with something that is outside of that. Nothing is an exception to that. And so as, as we evaluate our lives and we say, I, I really wish this thing would change... We have to remember that His divine power, speaking something into existence power, raising someone from the dead power, has granted to us everything that pertains to that. Everything that you need for that to become a reality for you. If you're a Christian, that's, that's what's real. You might not feel like it. You might wonder about, well, yeah, but what about this? And what about this? And I tried it for a while. and this. You might have all these excuses, but the bottom line is, these scriptures are true. That this is what's real. Our emotions are, are fine, but they don't tell us. They're, they're not. They're not accurate um, ways of telling what's true and real about life, and especially not true and real about God. That's why I gave us a Bible. So here's something tangible. 
that you can know. So His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And how do we know this? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. It's simply through knowing Jesus that this has happened to you. That's why I say if you're a Christian, that's true for you. Because through knowing Him, that has been, like these things have been granted to us. And so, so when we go from uh, being born and, and having, having this heart of stone, like it's described in Ezekiel, from having that sin nature in us, we go from, from that sort of existence and, and we, we see Jesus for who he is and he looks at us and says, I am, I'm good and I love you and I died so that you could cross from death in, into life. I died so that you would not be enslaved to sin anymore, so that you could cross into life free. And you can become a partaker of, of my nature. You can be with me. You can you come into my kingdom. That that when that when that happens, the heart of stone that we were born with, that's all it's self centered and all about us and, and un, unable to, to choose God. That that comes out. There's a, there's an exchange. So it's literally like he like he reaches in, you know, kind of Indiana Jones, simple Doom style, and like tears, takes that heart out, and he puts in a heart of flesh, heart of stone out, heart of flesh in. And so now we have this heart of flesh, and what does flesh do? It 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 it, it feels, it it senses, it's 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 alive. So dead heart, alive heart. But not, a, but that heart is symbolic of something. That that heart is symbolic of of His presence literally coming into us. And sometimes I'll have these these boxes. I stole this thing from Louis Giglio and kind of changed it up a little bit. And and we'll have these these containers and stuff. And we'll we'll take literally take the sin nature out and we'll put Christ inside of of the box. Um, that's that's real. That when when I was a kid, the whole phrase was like, "Do you want to ask Jesus into your heart?" Confusing when you're super little. You get older and you understand, okay, that, that, that makes sense. That literally God comes to live inside of us. And so that's how, that's the knowledge of Him who's called us by His own glory and, and goodness. That's how we know Him. We don't read about Him in a book. We don't learn facts about Him when you go to church. He lives inside of, of us. And some people that's super weird. But to us, that's, that's the greatest reality to recognize. Paul says that we're, the, we're, we're temples. He lives in us. They used to live, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, and the tabernacle and stuff, and then in the temple when they built the big temple. And, and when Jesus died, the, the veil that kept the presence of God in, so to speak, was torn, symbolizing that the presence was, was going. And we see in Acts 2, the presence of God fills up the people. And so through that knowledge uh, of Him who's called us, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And so everything, everything I've just said is trying to get to this, this conclusion that every one of us, we need to, to understand and be on the same page that the life that you, that you want, the change that you want to see God do in your life is 100% completely possible for you. Not because you're awesome, but because He lives inside of you and will make it happen.
So we cannot go through life thinking like, well, I guess anxiety is just going to be like my, like my thing, like my struggle. Like I'm the guy that's, that stresses a lot. No. Jesus is not going to, he's not going to do that when he tells us in the Bible not to, not to worry. We can't go through lives just saying like, hey, I'm just an angry person. Deal with it. No, that's, that's not, that's not the case. You hear people, especially men, say, oh, you know, there's just, you know, these struggles, you know, with dudes, I mean, you know, we, we have these struggles and it's just kind of, it's kind of how it is. That's the biggest cop out ever. His divine power has granted to you everything you need for life and godliness according to the knowledge of Him, according to your knowledge of Him. If you, if you know Him, your life can look like exa- exactly like you want it to look. I'm not trying to sound like Joel Osteen here. Because the life that we want to look is we want a life that is just like Jesus's. That's what that's where this text is going. Look look at what it says. Um, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's the thing. That's the thing, is we 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 have these Beliefs, and we say, like, oh, I wish, I wish my life looked differently in this area or this area or this area. We cannot fall into the trap of just trying to like modify our lives to like lower the drama and like you know raise the raise the happiness. When when the drama and the happiness are all completely defined by man, what we have to recognize is that the reason why His divine power. Granted to us all things about life and godliness is because the end game for us is His own glory and excellence. That's what He has called us to, is to shape in us His His very character. Like I said earlier, we got to do uh, the first TNT this week, and, and Steve asked me to talk about discipleship, and I was like, I was like, okay, well, what about discipleship? You know, he's like, just you know, discipleship. I was like, man, that's like so broad, you know. And so, uh, so I just you know I took that and. Um, was kind of praying for it, and and I, I I told him this Thursday, kind of, but let me tell you this confessionally. For so long, I've I've had this uh, this in my mind, the ultimate discipleship like uh, teaching tool was to talk about the Karate Kid. Uh, because here's a kid who's like, I want to learn karate, Mr. Miyagi, will you teach me? And Miyagi's like, no, you know, for a little while, whatever. And then they enter into this uh, apprenticeship type, you know, deal where Miyagi is teaching him karate and he's using all these weird methods like waxing the car and painting the fence and all this stuff. And then eventually gets all put together and then he like teaches him the crane and he goes to the, t- the tournament, as he says, and he wins it or whatever. And so eventually he becomes the karate kid because he was mentored by Mr. Miyagi. And, and, and so for a long time I was like, that's discipleship, man. That's what we need to be doing is, is, is having, is approaching someone who knows how to do what, like, who knows how to live this life and say, will you teach me how to do this? And, and that's good. Like, it is a good thing that we, that we, and we should be doing that. I tell the married couples this, uh, as often as I can. If you see someone who has a marriage that you admire, you take them out to eat and you ask them a billion questions. That's discipleship. If you know someone has a super strong, uh, prayer life, or they're, you, they are just students of the word, and you want that, sit down with them and say, how do you, tell me what, what you do. Let me ask you a question. We need to be doing that. 
But and so in my preparation for TNT, I was totally going in that direction, and the Lord was just he just kind of put the brakes on. He said, "Hold on." He said, "All that stuff is good." He said, "But that's not a complete picture of discipleship." Because for a complete picture of discipleship, Daniel would not be trying to learn karate from Mr. Miyagi. He'd be trying to learn karate so that he could become Mr. Miyagi. The goal would be to be like Mr. Miyagi, not to know karate. And that's discipleship for us. We can't, we can't just say like, man, I really want to like, I want to know how to pray more so that we can like know how to pray more. We need to learn how to pray because prayer gets us closer to the end game, which is His own glory and excellence. That's the, that's the end for us. And so, all these devotions that we talked about in our community groups, we talked about devoting ourselves to, to the Word and to each other and to prayer and to the cross and all this stuff. Those things are, they are a means to the end of, of Christ being formed in us. His very character, His very nature. And so that's, look at the, the thought flow of this entire verse. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. If you're a Christian, you are called to His glory and His excellence. That's, that's where we're going. And yes, it's from loving Him and responding to Him and all the things we talked about at the beginning. That's All that is a part of it. But that's... That's where he's bringing us, is looking like him, talking like him, thinking like him, treating others like he does, responding in that sincere, compassionate way that he I mean, everything about him, he's shaping in us. And every bit of that is possible. And I know human nature, because I'm human, we tend to think that we are like an exception to stuff. That we would look somebody in the face, and and if someone if someone comes to us and we're like, man, I'm I'm struggling so much, so much in the area of 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 anger, you know, I just have all this anger, and I'm not sure what to do about it. And I think that's this is how God made me. We would look somebody in the face, and we would look them square in the eye, and we would say, that is a lie. You are you are copping out. You're you're com- you're completely throwing out the window everything that that God tells us about. Uh, him having the the power to do whatever, and and him changing us, and forming us, and growing us, and all that, you're you're completely missing it. We would say that to each other, and we're quick to voice that in community group. And if someone uh, if someone is off kilter, we're quick to help them get back, right back on it. But a lot of times, we make ourselves exceptions to those very same principles, and we can't do that. That's that's a lie. And none of us is an exception to these verses. None of us is so far gone that you're just, well, His glory and excellence just isn't going to be formed in you. None of us is, has lived such a long life that that's not going to happen. And this is a beautiful verse. Let me go to the next one. It says, by which, okay, so by His glory and excellence, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Through his promises, you can become a partaker of the divine nature. That by his own glory and excellence, he has promised you something. That he, he hasn't, hasn't just done this and hoped that you and I figure it out. That he's made promises to us. How awesome is that? That the creator of the universe, who holds everything together, looks at your life and says, tell you what, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to make you a partaker of my divine nature. And I promise you, this will happen. I promise this will be reality for you. And it shows us, says having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. So he's rescued us from that situation where we had the heart of stone. He's rescued us from those sinful desires. That those, that's not our dominant thought anymore. That's not what rules over us anymore. He says, I'm, I'm going to rescue you from that. And by my power, I'm going to make you a promise that as you know me more and more, you'll be a partaker of my nature more and more. He puts us on this on this path of basically forming us more and more and more into His image. And He empowers it with His own power. So, he's done all the work up until this point. Taken us away from the, from the evil desires, made us a promise, given us everything we need. That's all the stuff that he's done. So look what comes next. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness, brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So here's here's where the here's where our part comes in. Assuming that we have this understanding of what he has done. And, and what that looks like, and, uh, and how all that works together, everything that I've set up until this point. Assuming that we're on, that we get that. It says, for this very reason, we put the, can we put the verse back in there. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. In light of all this, just amazingness, make every reason to get in there and get things done. These qualities, these virtues, whatever it is that, that he lists here, this isn't, this isn't like some to-do list. They're just like, all right, so do all this stuff. It only makes sense. When you think about all that he has done, you're now he's saying, okay, so you just supplement your faith with this stuff. 
These are things that that help all those all the promises and all the the, the things that he has done for us and everything is forming us. It helps all those things become become concrete. It helps them like solidify and become real to us. There's uh I don't know how many of you grew up uh watching uh Broadway musicals, but uh but we did at our house. Uh and uh it was it was awesome. And there was this one called The Music Man that was one of our favorite ones. And uh, we watched this like, and like most you know most kids like will watch the same movie like twelve times in a row. We watched a lot of Music Man and a lot of Annie. And so if anybody wants to go toe to toe and quiz on either one of those, uh, I'll take you out. And so, uh, but there's this one called The Music Man, and uh, there's, it's this traveling salesman. And he goes into these towns, and his whole deal is that uh, that the youth are being corrupted, uh, and he finds something that's corrupting the te- the, the young people. And in this particular town, it was a pool hall because uh, billiards are you know the devil's work or whatever. And so his solution is these kids need to be they need to be become musicians because this is a like virtuous thing to invest their lives in. It will keep them out of trouble. And so he goes around the town, he like trying to convince all the parents that let the kids join the band. He's going to be the band leader, and he's going to start this band and stuff. And uh, and so, but it's totally a con. And so, but he has this thing. It's called the Think System. And so, all of his initial lessons uh, consist of of the kids thinking about the music, like in their head. And all the parents are like, shouldn't he be like, I don't know. Learning scales or how to play, a, how to make a note come out of the trumpet or something. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's all about the think system. You have to, you have to think the music first. That's not how it works. None of these guys up here that play guitar sat around and thought about playing the guitar for like 20 something years. And they're like, all right, I think I'm ready. That's not how it works. You can't sit around and just think about like wanting to become something and then like immediately be able to do that. At some point, it, it has to transfer from this is what I want to do, what are the steps that I can take in that direction to make this a reality? And so if you want to learn to play the guitar, there are certain things that you do to learn how to play the guitar. Our our character and our souls are really not that different. We can't sit around all day long and sit there and think, okay, uh, I want to I want to be more Christ-like. I want to be more Christ-like. Let me sit here and think about it and think about it and think about it. We have to do something. We have to put legs to that. We have to put these things into action. And it doesn't mean as soon as you put that into action, you're automatically Christ-like. I understand how, how that is. It takes a while for that to be formed. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, you know, you, you want to like share what, you know, who Jesus is with someone for the very first time? You like fumble all around. It's like just kind of a weird thing and, and whatever. But you put yourself out there. And the next time you do that, it's better. And the next time it's better. And the next time it's better. And it gets to where it's a natural thing. These guys that play the guitar, it's a natural thing for them. Because they went through all the awkwardness of having to learn how to do that. 
with our faith, that's what he's saying, is God's done all this stuff to bring you into his own glory and excellence, to form his glory and his excellence in you, to make you look just like him. So now you make every effort to supplement your faith in that. By jumping in. By pursuing the changes that you want to see. And this, this working in tandem thing starts, starts to happen. So we, we make every effort, and then that divine power infuses those efforts. And what seems a little maybe uncomfortable at first becomes more natural and, and more of a natural rhythm for us. And next thing you know, we're, there's some Christ-likeness that's happening in us. We see progress and we see change in our lives. If, going back to anger, if anger is the big thing, we watch, we have to watch that subside. And there are people in this church, I can go around the room and I could, I could, like, point to people and say, I remember when, when you battled this so much. And I've seen so much progress in your, in your life. You may not have seen it, but I, but we see it. That doesn't happen when you sit around and think, man, I really would like to be more Christ-like. It happens when we get in there and we get our hands dirty a little bit. And that's where the, that's where those disciplines come in. That's where prayer comes in. That's where obedience comes in. That's where being in the Word comes in. And this is like we get in there and we, we do some things and we make efforts, but it's not about our efforts earning something. It's about we do the effort and, and God infuses that with power and He takes care of the outcome. And so whatever change that, that you're hoping to see in, in your life, you have to think about this entire text. That His divine power has given you everything you need for that to happen. Through your knowledge of Him. And He's calling you to His own glory and His own excellence. He's, he's made these promises to you and He's, and he's taken the, the, the desires of the world a, a, away from you. That no longer has power over you. And even though some of those things are still there, they, they, don't, they don't rule over you. He said, okay, so He's completely set you up. To become like Him. Now let's put some legs to it. Let's try some things that are going to help that character be formed. And you look at look at the list. Look at the list. Supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. Love. These aren't like these are things that we can make efforts to like bring about in our lives. As we go through the Sermon on the Mount, there will be things that like, these are like tangible things that we can do. I know, I know that that you and I cannot uh, we can't just like sit there and muster up patience. You know, like, that's a fruit of the Spirit. That's something that He brings about in us. And so all we all we can do is stop feeding our flesh and just let that spirit just like emerge from us in the form of patience. But when it comes to godliness, a, that's a, a devotion to to holiness and to the the character of God. We can devote ourselves. These are things that we we can do. And so seeing how the 
first half of the paragraph and the second half of the paragraph work together is really important. God says, I've set you up. Now you, you do some things. And as you do these things, I'll empower them and bring about this change in your life. And this, this is like, this is what sanctification and maturing looks like. This is where change comes from in, in our lives. Look at, uh, look at verse eight. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If, if we have, the way I look at this passage is, is this. If we have an understanding of how those things work together. Our empowered identity. And then the efforts that He wants us to put in. We see how those work together. That's, that's when change begins to happen in our lives. I think a large part of why God would have us talk about this tonight is that so many people just think that they can't change. They're frustrated. They're just tired of of trying and trying and trying and not seeing the results that they want. That's that's not abundant life. That's not that's not living in touch with what's real. What's real is this. And so maybe sometimes it's a matter of of making all these efforts to like really like try and like do better. But maybe you're missing the first couple of verses of, of this passage. You know, maybe you're missing those realities of recognizing that it's just His divine power at work that's going to make it happen. So maybe you've been too self-reliant in trying to bring about change in your own life. Or maybe you're on the other extreme where you've kind of just been kicking back, just kind of wait, like, like, well, God wants, if God wants me to stop being angry, He's made me not be angry. Maybe you've been unwilling to look at the second part of the passage. It talks about making every effort. We, we have to see it as both. I think that this book we're about to do, and like I said, I know everybody's not going to do this study, and that's fine, but let me pass this on to you because I, I think he's really onto something with, with how, how he, these things come about. Um, he's, he, he says there's, there's four components to change. And I think, I think everything we talked about tonight goes into this. Um, he says there, there's four of them. Uh, the first, the first one is that you, uh, you uproot, like, false ways of thinking. We've all grown up and all stories and experiences and all this kind of stuff has kind of formed in us these misunderstandings of truth. And, uh, he calls them false narratives. All right. So all our experiences, he calls them stories and narratives. So these things that have, that we've grown up around that just that just aren't true. So he says, uh, you know, so if you grew up in a home and in a school and in a group of friends where you're uh, you have to earn approval, and if you don't like if you earn approval or disapproval, basically like you get what you deserve. Well, we tend to project that onto God. That's a false narrative that we apply to God too. And so he'll say, all right, let's take that false narrative that you get what you deserve, but then let's look at the true narrative that Jesus revealed, which is that Jesus is completely generous and uh, it is not 
contingent on us earning anything, that He loves us because He loves us. And so uh, it's, it's about acknowledging, I've come to believe something false. Now let's look at what Jesus said that is true. Let's ask Him to take out what is false and replace it with what is true. That's the first step. Not first step, but the first component. is dealing with those lies and truth. Um, then as a part of solidifying that, we, we do kind of what we talked about here today is we make, we make some efforts. We put something with that in order to, to make, to solidify that, that change, that replacement of, of the narratives. So he has what he calls soul training exercises. And some of them, they're basically just spiritual disciplines. So they'll involve things about the, about, uh, silence and, uh, spending a day, like sitting outside and like looking around at all the things that God has made or involve things with the scriptures or things with prayer or, uh, writing letters or, you know, just whatever. Um, but these are tangible efforts that we make that help us connect to the truth that just got replaced and, and those things, uh, work together. Then he says the third component is you do both of those things in the context of community, which is why we bring these into our small groups and we're going to sit around and we talk about these false narratives and where they come from and, and the struggles that we have and all this kind of stuff. And so you're working those things out in the, in the context of community because not, none of us is meant to do any of this stuff by ourselves. And then all three of those components are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the divine power that we talked about today. So here's the Holy Spirit driving forward with us in replacing lies with truth and with uh, giving us some like tangible things to do in order to us to make every effort to solidify that. And then we're talking about it with our community and we're praying for each other and we're helping each other out. And here's the Spirit just like pumping His power in into all that stuff. Um, can you see with me like how like change will come about in our lives when we do that? We're basically taking this text and we're putting it in, like, putting it into practice week after week after week after week. We're not trying to grow this massive small group ministry. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not even trying to grow this massive church. We're just trying to be obedient. And this seems to be a pretty awesome way for us to be obedient together. So I'm not trying to advertise community groups. What I'm trying to help us all understand is that, that this is, this is the rest of our lives in Christ. This is what, what we do. Jesus forms us into his image day after day after day after day. That's how it goes. Do you think he can change you? Do you think he can make your life look like his? Do you think you're too far gone? Do you think there's an area of your life that is an exception to all the other stuff? Will, will you embrace the truth of this text? Will you embrace the reality that Jesus like, is holding out to us all the time? He's saying, I'm not, I'm not going to force my kingdom on you, but look how good it is. You know, why, why would you not, why would you not want to be a part of this? Why would you not want to step into this? He says in, in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Don't make it all about you. Whatever, whatever the will of the Father is at any cost, and you just come after me. Listen to me, obey me, imitate me, put these things into practice. Let my divine power radically change your life. Come on, if you're willing to do that. I don't know where this hits you. That's between you and him. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us. God, thank you for, um, for a passage like this that just really lays out so clearly. Um, may not have been clear from my teaching of it, but when you just read it, it makes so much sense. 
Um, it's just so clear, like what what you have done, what you're willing to do in us. We thank you that you are patient with us. It's unbelievable that you have called us to your own glory and your own excellence. That you have promised us you will do this. That you've rescued us from just being dominated by self-centered reality. And you've just granted to us everything we need for life and for godliness. And then you just look at us and say, hey, supplement it. So I pray that this would be, um, that you would speak to us individually tonight. What what an amazing opportunity that we have. It's not just an opportunity tonight. This This is our opportunity that we wake up to every day. And for the rest of our lives, this is what's real to us. This is your kingdom. So help us, Lord, really just to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be honest if we think we can't change. We're too far gone. We don't have what it takes. Pray that you would give us a vision for what our lives um, for the, for the change that our lives could uh, could go through, help us just to not settle.